Hello and welcome to a really special episode of the Narrative Labyrinth. As always, I'm your host Rachel, but today we're going to be doing things a little bit differently. The TV show Our Flag Means Death has just been cancelled. Like many other shows before it, it has been cancelled before its story has come to its conclusion. I've spoken before about shows featuring queer storylines being cancelled or cut down before their prime, or in reverse, shows that have had their queer characters cut down in their prime. And as we know, in these days of streaming, none of our favourite shows are safe. But there's a phenomenon at the moment where a disproportionate amount of queer and bi-POC shows are being cancelled. However, all hope is not lost. Today, I'm going to be talking to some people that are fighting for their show, for their fandom. Our flag means death. But before we get started, I want you to listen to some of the voices of fans. Our flagman's death taught me that love can happen in any age, any place, and it comes in all shapes and sizes. That love means accepting the flaws of your partner and loving them despite the tough situations. Also, this show did an excellent queer representation, about which I am very grateful. I hope this amazing show gets to complete its story. The show really means a lot to me because I always feel like I'm different and I simply don't fit in and I don't know really why. So when I started watching the show and I saw Jim and I saw their whole storyline and their character and everything, I was like, yeah, that's exactly how I feel about myself. Um, that's exactly how I think about myself. And so basically this show um, helped me finding out that I'm non-binary. This show gave me hope that I, queer teenager from homophobic country, will live past 25 years old. What I love so much about Our Flag Means Death is it's a queer story that's fun. You know, it's laugh out loud funny. It's got historical elements. It's got fantasy elements. It's got an amazing love story, multiple amazing love stories, honestly, um, queer love stories. And it allows me to be, you know, nerdy and silly and just enjoy it and see myself represented. I was inspired to actually come out publicly as bisexual last year because it's so important to be yourself and to be a stand for the other people around you. And so many people have got strength and power and well-being from watching this show and seeing the characters represented in it. And that's what makes this show so remarkable and makes it really stand out among any other shows anywhere. And the reason I'm so passionate to try and fight to bring this show back for another season. It's not just because I want to see what happens with the rest of the story, which I do, but because this makes such a difference to so many people. It is so important for society and for the people living in it to have a show like this that they can look at and they can see, that's me, that's how I should be living, that's what I want to be. I fucking love Our Flag Means Death. Um, it's very much a show for the outcasts. It nurtures them. It shows them that no matter who you are or where you come from, no matter your gender, your sexuality, your past, your trauma, no matter what people say about you, no matter how much people try to tear you down and make you feel like you're nothing, you are worthy of love. You can find your family, you can find true love, you can find the person you're meant to spend the rest of your life with who loves you for you, and most importantly, you can find the self-love that you are deserving of having. Our Flag Means Death was marketed originally as a kooky comedy about Steed Bonnet, one of the most ridiculous pirates in all of history, and it evolved into a wonderful story about two gay men finding love late in life and that's a story that's important to be told regardless of the fact that this is also a silly pirate show and it's unfair 
force queer people to constantly have to feel like they they, they need to fight for their stories to be told. No one should be fighting for stories to be told. Our flag means death means comfort to me. I mean, I just wish this was real in, in the real world. Uh, so it's an escape. It's comforting to know that at least in some kind of media, there's an ideal world for people like me. I'm an ally. People around me, like my daughter and my cousin, are part of the queer community. I watched this show and was overwhelmed by the voice, love, and tender care it gave to these communities. Its love extended to every marginalized community, and it did not other them. It was beautiful, and I adored it from the first episode. The show helps represent love that isn't given the screen time usually. I am moved by it, and it means so much to me. I showed it to my daughter later, but the fact that at 10 years old, this is the sort of thing she can see herself in and fully embrace in is huge to me. This is what Our Flag Means Death means to me. For so long, shows in the 2000s and 2010s have, you know, I've been waiting for that representation, but every single time, I've been queer-baited and queer-baited. And now, finally, there's a canon queer love story. But Our Five Means Death represents more than that to me. It represents different diversities that I can't even get into. As someone who's always really struggled with this idea of conventional beauty and looking how people expect you to look and acting how they expect you to act, Our Flag Means Death for me is just a complete breath of fresh air. Everyone's loved for who they are, for what they say, for what they bring, for being the, their authentic selves. And that's not something we get to see enough. As someone who didn't come out as queer till later in life, Steed for me, I actually see as someone who's like me, who tried to fit into the box society wanted them to fit in for a large part of their life and then realised that they weren't happy that it didn't fit them. They weren't being true to themselves. So they went to find out who they really were and who their people were and managed to find them. And I think that's beautiful to see. I also think it's really beautiful to see elder queers and happy relationships and happy stories because we don't get to see those enough. The show is called Our Flag Means Death and it's a kooky little pirate drama. But if we take that name, Our Flag Means Death, there are parts of the world where the pride flag literally means death. And a lot of that comes from a lack of understanding. You know, People such as Putin and his autocratics are able to push this agenda through a sense of fear, through a sense of the other, through a sense that queer people are dangerous, they're degenerative, they are something to be afraid of. And the power of our flag means death is it shows that's not the case. It's just people in love. It's just showing that love should be universal. You shouldn't be judged for your love. Two consenting adults should be free to love however they choose to love. And that's kind of the power of this show, you know? I'm Mitch. I'm a 25-year-old queer, non-binary Puerto Rican fan in the U.S. And the character of Jim is the first time I have ever seen a character represent me on screen in my life. And that is life-changing and life-saving representation for so many people. I mean, this show has unabashed, loving representation for so many people. I mean, I can find that in this show, and so can 30, 40, 50, 60-year-old queer people who are also seeing themselves in a show for the first time. This show changed my life, no kidding. It helps me to fight depression and anxiety. Also, this show is so important for the whole queer community, which I'm a part of. The representation is accurate and full of support. Our flag means death helps me to find hope and inspiration to be who I truly am. It's not just a TV show, it's the realm of caring, kindness, acceptance, love and creativity.
Hi, my name is Dora Pop. I'm an author from Hungary. Here in Hungary, we've been kind of suffering from the anti-LGBT laws for a while now. We've been fighting this fight, and Our Flag Means Death is one of those shows that help us see the light at the end of the tunnel and uh, help us feel like we're a part of a community. God, where do I start when I try and explain what Our Flag Means Death means to me? I got introduced to it on Twitter and from day one it's been an absolute blast to be a part of this fandom. I've never felt so more inspired. The show to me means a huge love letter to representation and diversity. It's just a well-written showcase of a queer love story on a boat between two guys and then this found family of the Revenge crew coming together. In March 2022, I had had enough. Um, I was going through a lot, and I had decided that the best possible thing I could do was no longer exist. Everything for a very long time had felt just miserable, um, hard. There was there was no light in my life. The weekend after I had attempted, I had sat down to watch TV when I had decided to watch Our Flag Means Death. And it was like that scene in Wizard of Oz where, where Dorothy lands and everything's bright and colorful. It was the first time in my entire life that I felt seen and heard. Steve Bonnet was the first time I really felt like I saw a character that was anything close to me. And it was beautiful. I just want to thank absolutely everybody who felt they could share something about what this show means to them. I have cut some of the responses down uh, to save time in this episode. However, everyone's full responses will be available at a later date in a compendium because everyone's voice is important and everyone's story is important. Now we're going to move on to the main bit of the show, uh, which I'm going to be honest, uh, was interesting to record. Uh, There's five of us. Um, Hopefully you can follow along nice and easy. Um, And uh, to accommodate for international date times, uh, some of us were up at uh, gone 1am to record this. Uh, So it may descend into delirium at points. But as always, you are listening to The Narrative Labyrinth, and my name's Rachel, and welcome to the show. So thank you all very much for coming to our special, uh, I'm not going to say one-off, hopefully one-off, because they're going to uncancel the show and it's going to be great so we never have to talk about it again that's the hope right but this is is our special uh our flag uh, meets uh, oh jeez it's it's 1am wheels have come off it's 1am you're doing amazing (laughs) you're doing amazing sweetie you are can we just uh get some names and some pronouns please for the lovely people listening yeah, so um, I'm Ben, and my pronouns are he, him. Um, I'm Cece, my pronouns are she, her. I'm Layla, pronouns they, she. I'm Zarish, and I am she today. I'm Rachel, and it's she, her, even though it's my podcast. I feel I should, because it's always good to, you know, everyone being on the same page. So yeah, we are here to talk about the cancellation of diverse media. That sounds really posh, but really we're here to talk about our flag means death, right? That's what we're here yeah. to talk about. That's yep. yeah. like, never, never heard of it. What's that? Um, yeah, I think it might involve pirates, maybe. Yeah. Uh, I hear it's a little fruity, though, so I'm not sure if I'm going to check it out. <laughs> Red flag. Fruity? Red flag, exactly. What? Fruity like a pina colada. <laughs> so obviously well i say obviously so uh, as people listening may or may not be aware of um the show was cancelled after its second season uh by i'm going to call it hbo max even though it's not called that anymore that's what 
kind of we all know it as, you know. It's okay to dead name sometimes. That and Twitter. That and Twitter. So okay. we, we're going to dead name HBO Max as HBO Max, uh, uh, hopefully to enable this conversation to happen a little bit easier. Um, so they, they, as I said, they, they kind of abruptly, I think it's fair to say, cancelled. I am really sorry, but I'm going to have to go all autistic and say they didn't cancel it. They opted okay. not to pick it up. Okay, that, but that does make a difference in, in our conversation. It does make a difference, yeah. It wasn't that, yeah, they haven't cancelled it. They just opted not to pick it up for season three, which is why it's available for other people to pick up. And we will come on to that because that's that's a big thing now, right? That's I, I'm, I'm oh, hearing there's oh, yes. some like trending stuff online and, you know, there's a big campaign, but we'll, we'll come yeah. to that. So, mm-hmm. so they ca- they didn't cancel they failed they decided not to renew uh, for a third season uh, this show um and the internet us people are quite upset about it i think that's fair to say i think we have some opinions um i have a pitchfork yeah yeah, I, I like that. Zarish, Zarish has got a pixel, no roof, but a pitchfork. I like yeah. that. I like that kind of like medieval <laughs> cottagecore vibe that you're going for, Zarish. And Thank I'm here you. for it. Thank like you. Feral energy. I, know, I love it. Roach would say. <laughs> I, I can be relied upon for feral. <laughs> But I think it's also fair to say that in these kind of days of streaming services, we are none of us new to the idea of our favourite shows not being picked up or being abruptly cancelled for reasons that none of us really understand. And again, I think it's fair to say with this show, you know, it had a lot of award nominations. It was highly thought of on kind of social spaces. It had good metrics. So why haven't they picked it up again? Well, that's part of where the outcry is. So at first there was no answer. And then very suddenly the answer from Casey Bloys, one of the executives at HBO Max, was that the numbers weren't there. Needless to say, we were very quickly very upset by that answer because for all publicly available data, that didn't make sense. People have been tracking information about the show from season one and it is consistently not just performed well, but outperformed things that you wouldn't expect it to, like Star Wars and Marvel shows. Um, So really big media icons were doing better then. Um, So naturally, our question after that point to Casey was, what numbers? And it goes back to what people were fighting for with the SAG after strikes and and the WGA strikes was we need transparency and what statistics are actually being used to decide if a show is worth renewing or not. Because when you look at a show like Our Flag Means Death, it hit every mark. And the new statement that came out today from Casey Bloys, after I think he realized that we were not buying the numbers answer, was that, oh, the marketing team just didn't know what to do with all the violence in the show. You have thrones on your platform. Are you kidding me? Uh, no, sorry. This is where you've misunderstood. They don't know how to market violence that isn't against women. Sorry. That's oh. the, that's the, yeah. <laughs> there we go. I went through their list of programs and I think I picked out um, like their, their currently available programming and it's murder, 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 uh, manipulation, bribery, corruption, a uh, bit more murder. Uh, and I think there was a, there was a, there was a killing a serial killer. Yeah, there was. There was a serial killer. So, so when people like say that the Game of Thrones comparison isn't valid because they're like it's a different genre, different what you expect from a rom com, I'm like, well, what about Barry? And I'm someone who I watched all seasons of Barry, and I'm like, that is up every year that it's aired. It's been up for best comedy. He is a serial killer, and he kills multiple people, and they still um, consider the tone um, comedy. They still market it as a comedy. And that also just seems kind of unfair to your marketing staff to be like, they just weren't able to do a good job here is kind of what it sounds like. Right. I have no respect for somebody who knowingly, publicly throws their staff under the bus like that. Mm-hmm. That is not your job. You, you're you at the top. You take you know the, the buck stops with you and you can't mm-hmm. do that. Well, obviously he can, but he's a dick. Um, (laughs) It's, yeah, just ridiculous. Yeah, no, I've forgotten what I was going to say. Well, and as a marketing person, I know 
not to that level, but I know how campaigns work. And campaigns don't work unless you have finances and resources and executive support behind it. So to say that the marketing staff just wasn't capable of doing it is just an absolute sham of an answer, in my opinion. Very much so. We have known from the that they don't have the people staffed for it. They do not have the finances allocated towards it. And frankly, it just wasn't a priority. And I don't know if you remember, there was a tweet that came out uh, somewhere between the announcement that we were getting season two and uh, when the mm-hmm. the first uh, teaser dropped and the, the first look from Fantasy Fair. And, I, and a tweet came out and it said, our... Our marketing team or our publicity team have been hard at work today uh, doing publicity for Our Flag Meets Death. And it was a photograph of some people in the canteen and there were four A4 photocopies of the Our Flag Meets Death stills and a poster sellotaped to the glass behind them. And I'm like, right, okay, so that's the best you can come up with? That is not a campaign. So I think I have to, so as someone who in a past life, um, uh, well, pre-pandemic, which is like a past life at this point, I think, mm-hmm. um, yes. worked in broadcast media and particularly um, marketing of broadcast media. Um, and some of the shows I had to market were shite. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but you know what? I still got a YouTube gold button for it. So like if I mm-hmm. if I can market the Jeremy Carl show, um Oof. which will mean oh. uh, yeah. <sighs> it means nothing to the Americans listening, but the British are like yeah. oh, wait, my No, but I'm pretending no made that I'm going along with it. <laughs> I support your anguish. Um, but, if, if, but you know, if 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 you can, with no budget or very little budget, you it is possible to market broadcast television shows or streaming shows uh, very effectively, especially uh, when it comes to drama or sitcoms. If we if we choose to call this a, a sitcom, which is I think what they try to label it as for a short period of time, like a situational comedy, yeah, like uh, a workplace comedy kind yeah. of vibe. Yeah, that was the first thing that David ever said about it was that it was a workplace comedy set on a pirate ship in 1717. That was that was the sentence. What a what a pitch! What a pitch! Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so so n- no one here, I am guessing, is buying the we didn't know how to market, we couldn't market it. <laughs> no, actually, we've been doing it for free for ages, just as <laughs> casual fans. Yeah. We're the ones who got season one more. Um, known really I didn't know about it until I saw like mm-hmm. someone post a picture and, be, and start to be like intrigued by it I was like oh this can't be real what? they don't kiss this is a dream this is a dream sequence but then was shocked even though I saw them kiss before I watched it <laughs> you know I didn't know anything about the show I um, I know a lot of people are like oh I wanted to watch like the quote unquote like gay pirate show or things like that I just saw like the acronym mm-hmm. for it and I was like, there's no way that's a real show. Like OFMD, like like trying to figure out what that stood for. So I had to Google it and I was like, oh, it's this. And yeah, I would have been out one night and I was just like, when I, before I go to sleep, I like to watch something, but not something I'm too invested in, if that makes sense. And I was like, yeah, like oh, no. that random pirate thing. Game and over. Then, yeah, game over, game over. So as I was watching it, I was like this is getting a little like get like how are they gonna pull this around to make this like straighter <laughs> i was like it's, it's it's getting a little i'm like there are like multiple like black characters here i was like who aren't dead yet exactly who are like you know the, pre, the pre-dead phase and everything and i was like but i think that's also such like a beautiful thing to be able to that's how the world should be you should be able to just turn on your tv to something random and see something that more reflects your reality and more reflects the you know, the way the world that you live in and what those people look like and love like and everything like that. But yeah, I had no idea. And I was just like, like, you know, say they're like, hmm, this is a little, I don't know if they know that this has like a few undertones here. Like you wear fine things well, like this is kind of this is like a little um, steamy. Like, you know, I don't know if they know this, that this is how this came across. And when they actually kissed, I was like, I was like, my TV glitched. There's no way. There's no way this is happening. So, yeah, like, Groundswell is, like, great, too. But I think, you know, 
one, you guys are the ones who did all the entire job promoting it. So if they needed, if the marketing team needed help, there was Twitter, there was Tumblr, there are many resources at their disposal, so many fan cam edits, so many different um, ways of marketing. And two, like we should, it shouldn't have to be that this is such a unique thing that everyone online is like gathering about it and talking about it and being like, Hey, do you see, like, we're here, we're here. Like they showed us here. You should just be able to turn on your TV at any given time at night and see something that like reflects the world we live in and reflects the demographics of the world we live in where it's also not like for lack of better phrasing a thing, you know? So like, hello, I am Jim. I am non-binary. I am this. Everyone kind of just is. Like their identities aren't like hidden or like forgotten about, but they don't have to be confined to their identity, if that makes sense. And I, so. I think there's several issues there. You know, what we're dealing with are, you know, this is an industry and it's got a lot better, um, but this is an industry by men, largely white, largely older, um, you know, largely of a certain wealth bracket or um, background, and it's yes, it's not a hegemony. It has it has broadened, but I had a look at some websites this afternoon to have a look at the executive director makeup, and it was um, <laughs> it was yeah. There's a lot of lot of white boys out there, and the thing that they in my experience working in, um, you know, merchant banks and um, educational establishments and corporate is that they don't know that they, they don't know, which is like, yeah. it's fine to not know things, but you should also consider if you're providing entertainment to, um, what is it, 360 million people in the states just a few right so six percent of those people will have will be deaf or have hearing problems of six percent of the people that you're showing in contemporary programs do they see themselves eight percent people eight percent of people are queer are you making sure that they are visible that your writers are um, representative of that and they know what they're writing you know do you have BIPOC writers do you have BIPOC executive producers and where we hit this sort of perfect storm with OFMD I think was that Taika was executive was brought on as executive producer knowing what the story was right at the beginning and you know there's a, that's just perfect to, to have someone like that behind that kind of show. But most shows don't have him because there aren't very many of him there because they're all white boys going, well, why do I want to, you know, why do, why do I want to, why would we say yes to this program? It's like, you know, those people go into television because they want to make the programs that they want to watch. And I think there's a common misconception that the only people that are going to like these shows that feature diverse voices of any kind are going to be the communities that are represented. But that's not the case. Like, I think this fandom is, you know, largely made up of queer folks and, you know, folks represented. Like, I've seen a lot of Indigenous fans speaking up about how much they love the show, a lot of otherwise BIPOC fans too. But, like, there are just as many like whatever you want to call like your typical white cis hat people who also love it. And it's important that people are exposed to stories that are about folks that are different than themselves. That's how we make these conversations normal. That's how we make shows like this feel less out of the ordinary and more like what the expectation should be. Good, good storytelling is good yes. storytelling, no matter who yes. it's about. And there's, there's another thing there actually with, with the, um, that um, somebody did some research and it was this idea that um, a lot of um, cishet white men don't, don't feel comfortable watching shows about people that aren't them. Hmm. Because they're not represented. Well, it's not about me. I'm just, it's not for me. 
But it's interesting, isn't it, that their wives, daughters, girlfriends, nephews <laughs> are watching shows about white boys and don't have a problem with that because they've got an imagination and they can go, oh, it's a story. I can get invested in this because there's a good guy and a bad guy or whatever. Why do we, why do we, why do you why do, think that this has struck such a nerve with so many people, this show? What, what is it about this show that has made so many people fall in love with it and care about it how long do you have <laughs> for me i think it was just like the effortlessness of the like um queer representation on it um mm-hmm. it wasn't that you had the queer character you just had an ensemble of queer of characters who just happened to be queer which is what happens in real life you meet <laughs> someone you get to know everything <laughs> about them and one part of that could be the fact that they're queer and that's just another asset a lot of the time. Like, I'm a trans guy myself, and a lot of the time, like, I, I'm quite open about it, but I will just, it'll come up in conversation that, yeah, I am trans. Anyway, let me tell you about this bird I saw across the road a second ago. So <laughs> it was just, it's the realism, despite the fact that it's gay fictional pirates that were real people, but it's so disconnected from what it was. And... It's just fun. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, it's just so much creativity has come from it. That's what drew me to it was the creativity mm. I was seeing online that was building up more and more, even before I watched the show. Um, then I watched it and I started creating stuff because I had nothing better to do with my time. <laughs> Very lovely. It's been Same. <laughs> I mean, I got yes. sucked in. Like, I have real, I have. Um, uh, complex post-traumatic stress disorder and I one of my things is I find it really difficult to watch visual media so television is is mm. scares the shit out of me because I don't know what's coming so sometimes I'll watch things with the wiki plot and just keep an eye on it so nothing comes up that kind of makes me go eh. and um so I don't I don't watch much new things i don't feel safe doing it and my best friend sent me a facebook message which was basically happy happy gay gay cake you have to watch it (laughs) and i was just like i'll watch it but it might take me nine years because you know it it took me Mm -hmm. it takes me a long time to sidle up to things and um (laughs) three weeks later she made (laughs) three 40 orange cakes <laughs> one every weekend and i was like what the actual fuck is going on here i need to watch this because if there's cake and this friend is just bouncing around going it's gay i'm just like what so i watched it i thought i'll watch one episode and if it's good i'll wait for will to come home from work <laughs> <laughs> no I watched all of it and then the minute he walked in the door he was like what do you want for dinner and I said I want you to sit down here we are sitting here for five hours we're ordering it <laughs> and, uh, and we watched the whole thing again <laughs> I think what's really special about it for me it kind of goes to the points that you've all made about how sincere it is about the representation whereas a lot of shows this is sort of mentioned before, they have like a token character of any kind and that's the focal point of their story or like you can tell it was included in the show for diversity points or like to make a moment um, so that they can pat themselves on the back. The show isn't about patting themselves on the back about who's being represented or the ways in which they're represented. It's just about genuinely featuring the stories of these people and the people that are working on it, whether the cast or the writers or any of the other creatives or people involved in it, they really care so deeply about the characters and the stories they're telling. It's not about a, it's making a joke to anyone, and that happens mm. a lot where, not to name names, but people who are not gay get cast as gay characters and it's a mockery. <laughs> James Gordon, um, as a musical theater person, he's ruined many of my favorite films otherwise. Um, so it's unfortunate. But you have tons of stories like that where it's not taken very seriously by anyone involved. And I think in all of these circumstances, it's been taken so seriously. Like 
I remember them talking about how when they were picking costume designs and tattoo designs for all the characters, they would consult with the actors and find things that represented their actual backgrounds and what was important to them. And to know that they went to that level of making those actors feel very seen within the character and not just making the character feel seen within the actor is incredible. It is. I mean, Roach is, um, you know, the little um, thing that he wears around his neck. It does have a proper name. I'm very sorry, ADHD. I can't remember it. But it's a little, um, the little sort of leather um, bags, I suppose, tiny ones. Like two meters, two centimeters, two meters, no, <laughs> two centimeters by two centimeters. And there's two of them on it. And they're kind of you know, like relics or, you know, fragments of something that memories or whatever. And it's a particular kind of mm-hmm. Bedouin thing. And mm-hmm. he was able to, they found one for him, but he chose what oh. was in it. Oh, oh I love that. So, you know, that's for him. And, and, I just love that all of that kind of detail was put in, you know, like Con's ring, um, all yeah. of those things. The, you know, they had agency over how their backstory fitted, you know, for them and and what they were sort of putting in front of us. I just, I just think it's the whole, like, David the team he put together the designers the art department um set decoration the cast everything has been done with a respectful hand so the writing respects the characters the writing respects the actors the engagement with us has been incredibly respectful to the love we have for the show. I'm never not going to be moved by that. Um, and the respect they have for the fan art, and, and I know Sherlock gets trashed on a regular <laughs> fucking basis about this, but, you know, getting fan art and then laughing at it on on a stage is not okay. Yeah. And it's been done to fans of Marvel as well on chat shows. You know, they'll mm-hmm. pull up. You know, fan art of Loki pole dancing. It's an amazing drawing or painting, yeah. but they're giggling at it and the audience is laughing at it. And all lot have never done that ever, ever, ever. Well, I think that just goes to show that the theme with Our Flag Means Death overall, not just in the story, but within the engagement and all the people working on it, is that it's important and good to be passionate about things. It's important to care about what, you know, drives you, what motivates you, but also to find the joy and love within those passions. And that's where I get so hurt when, you know, people do make fun of fan artists because that is something that meant a lot to a person and brought them joy. And it was them expressing such a pure and loving part of themselves. Yeah. And to have that be not just seen but embraced with this show, I think has made it a very special experience. Yes, yeah, so um, all sides. Being a black person and seeing something that is a historical show, you're like, that's going to be a source of misery for me. That's going to be, that's going to like, yes, I like this is important. I'm going to sit through it, but there will be no joy. I will just be sitting here. And yes, the 1700s ships. The Atlantic, you know, not 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 exactly, not exactly our happy place. So I was like, oh, pirate ship. I'm like, okay, watching this as it's unfolding, the black characters. I'm like, okay, I see that they're not, you know, in like enslaved or anything on this ship. Sorry, I'm I'm laughing just because like you know, it's an awkward thing to say in the context of the show. Um, so I'm like, okay, they're just ignoring, you know kind of just pulling one of those things where they completely ignore like race to it, which is totally cool. Like, you know, now I can kind of enjoy the show, but even just the scenes in the first episode where, um, the, was it Nigel Batminton is like, you know, Oh, like, look at this colorful crew. I felt like it was such a modern to, to not ignore race, but do it in such a modern way. Because I think, you know, people of color talk all the time about microaggressions. And I think that, a lot of times people be like, oh, we'll give them the benefit of the doubt. That's not what they mean. Like if they, if they hear about it later 
And it's like, no, we kind of know that wasn't a compliment. We kind of know that was kind of, you meant something by that. So I thought, I thought using just like a modern um, lens on that to show, like, we're not going to show like brutal slavery and stuff like that, but like a modern day microaggressions that watching this, you're like, yeah. And even as like, you know, a white audience can, can see like, oh no, like, you know, they, this is a microaggression. He clearly means something by the colorful crew and like made by savages. Like he means, he means something. Um, he means something by that. And um, even later on where they're on the ship and they're like, oh gosh, you two are the cleanest, most well-spoken Africans I've ever had the pleasure of meeting. I was like screaming right? and I just remember like Olawadli's response is like, what? And Frenchie's like, thank you. That is a lovely thing to say. And like to be like, yeah, because you have to like, you know, keep going and pretend that that wasn't just weird, but like giving, you know, the kind of Olu the chance to give the kind of internal monologue, I guess, that goes through people's head and understand like, I felt like they did a good job of showing like that it wasn't a compliment. I don't think anyone watching the show, even like the white audience who maybe hasn't experienced that I have experienced that being like, Oh, you're so well-spoken, you know, for a black person or, or all those types of things being like, Oh, but they've complimented you. It's like, but did they, did they compliment me? Did they really? <laughs> and there are things like that. And even in the second season, um, there's a scene where Olu goes like, you know, like, oh, like, stop it. Like, I'm tenderheaded. Um, like, when they're getting tortured and stuff in Calypso's birthday. And that was one of the ones we saw the advanced screening of. And I know me and a couple of my other, like, Black friends in the fandom, shout to Crocs and Indigo, were after it. We're like, that is, what? like, that is just shows you. I mean, we know this already because we've seen the makeup of the writer's room. But I'm like, that is a Black writer's room to have that be the joke, mm-hmm. being like, I'm, I'm tenderheaded or just be able to write um microaggressions like this well but like mm. not also like not like traumatic like I wasn't like traumatized by seeing it or like upset by seeing it I was kind of just like yeah like really funny and even and then again like with Jim with Jim's entire storyline and I felt like I related to that so much because a lot I feel like a lot of um media if like non-binary or genderqueer people are included it's kind of like it has to be this big thing and here's the powerpoint and da 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 and you're like teaching and da 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 and they're just kind of like well are you a mermaid like that's our main like whatever name gender whatever but are you a mermaid like it's our main main question and the biggest thing is not about the like you know gender of it all the transits transits of it all um because i've just found myself being like um as someone who's been out and known like they were gender queer since middle school um being like am I really because I feel like in the way I see it on t- I don't relate to this like you know be a lot of the things I see on tv where it's like I've never felt the need to sit someone down with like a powerpoint and sit there and like <laughs> explain this and explain like my pronouns and be like huh like any questions and I have to get slightly hate crime so that the audience can learn not to hate crime <laughs> people like you know I thought it was not, like whatever so yeah. the fact that like and it's something I've, I had described to my friends before I'm like you know just like I just kind of am and I just like am and I've just never fit into certain things and this is just another thing that frustrates me with the cancellation and it's not just this I am also a very big fan of A League of Their Own I don't know if you guys have seen that incredible work I have never seen that before where they have like you know Max's entire storyline where they have a care a black character having equal screen time and her entire world is built out and her entire journey she just like make mistakes even her friends her best friend has like her own storyline and she's like a black girl who's like into comic books and comic drawings and stuff and even with the uncle birdie and just showing all the different like queer spaces that um instead of trying to like force some sort of integration they like just leaned into the fact that like no like black black queer people had their own spaces and those were beautiful and those were fun and like, you know, they did in their community. And instead of being like, oh, like white queers were always accepting and we're never racist. Ha ha ha. They kind of didn't go that route. And to see that one of the biggest criticisms of the, sh- the show is like, oh, they shouldn't have spent as much time on Max's storyline. Something that like, you know, meant so much to me. And being like, they shouldn't have spent that much time on it. Like, maybe that's why the reviews on it were mixed or it wasn't as worthwhile. And being like, wow, like, I, like, literally, you know, cried so much watching this. I'm like, I've never, you know, seen this before. And be like, you're telling me that this is, this all was a mistake. Um, So it's kind of like, so, and then, you know, they were like, we won't, it took us like a year to to give you news, but they're going to be four episodes and that's it. JK, they're going to be none, but it's the strike's fault. Um, and then the same thing with OFMD, be like, oh yeah, like this is when our flagship shows, flagship shows, haha, ship, 
Um, shows one of the most successful of the year. Are we released this merch and you know it's top four, even though it was released in October. It's our top four selling in the year, and all the people that are showing you know showing up for this and showing up for this number wise, but they keep like moving the bar and moving the bar and changing the bar. Like oh well, technically it wasn't this, technically it wasn't this. Like oh, but this, but they had this. Okay, we said that last time. We canceled. <laughs> you know, like um, League of Their Own, like, oh, it was because like the viewership was down. They're like, oh, now we didn't know how to market it. So it's like, it feels like one step forward, two steps back because they're like, in general, I feel like with media, they're like, okay, we hear you. We're no longer doing the burying your gaze. Let's just kill the whole TV show. Right. So, so that's that's how I feel it. We'll bury a gay and then kill TV the whole show. TV show. Like, oh, yes, we wouldn't want to do something offensive, like follow the, the bury your gaze no. tropes, the bury your blacks trope. Uh, Let's kill all. <laughs> Let's it's, kill it's the show. One thought that I keep having is about how people keep saying, like, it's just a TV show or like... There was that one comment about how, you know, like gay Twitter needed to go support the Gilded Age instead. And the problem is that for many of us, this is not our first time being in this position. A lot of us were just in this position with a league of their own. And we've been there show after show after show, because I think that people associate fandom with specifically very young people. Like we think of like the the crowds of women at the Beatles concert screaming and that's really not what the Our Flag Means Death fandom is. I've been telling a lot of people, like, there are people of all age ranges here who have been watching and engaging with media for a very long time. And so the excuses of, oh, the, the numbers just weren't there, like, we wish we could have, we wanted to, people aren't buying it anymore. We've been told the same thing over and over. There are some shows that don't get cancelled straight away. Um, would you like to hear it? It's an extensive list. <laughs> yeah, uh, the original L Word uh, wasn't cancelled, um, but I feel if we're stretching back to a show from 2005, then you know that's a 20-year-old show we're trying to reach back to. We hopefully did some stretching. We're really there. grasping for straws here. <laughs> yeah. Um, but obviously the, revi- the, the far superior, far better revival was has been cancelled um after its third season um uh orange is a new black was not cancelled that got to run its full course um and underpay all of their actors severely yeah yes and exploit their actors they got to do it all for some reasons yes they did yeah um, and i would say there wasn't a lot of positives um in terms of its actual representation in that show. Speaking of Barry, I'm sorry, so sorry, but speaking of Barry, your gays, Barry, your blacks, I actually like, and not because I'm like, I had a full political stance on this. Like it's going to sound really silly, but like to me, and even like I had family members who are not allies, um, who watched, <laughs> but like watched Orange is the New Black and stuff like that. And as soon as they like killed Poussey on screen and had her, you know, mm-hmm. Barry, your blacks, Barry, your gays trope, in such a way that didn't make sense, that was like violent and stuff like that. And then also then framed it as good versus good. I just physically couldn't watch the show after that because I was just like, this was just so upsetting and like, why must a character that a lot of people identified with and even like, again, unfortunately like homophobic family members who like, you know, watched Orange is New Black, loved, you know, Pusey's character and like loved that all that she like represented and they're like and the writer's room which is entirely white women um what a they show. posted a photo they were like did you see did you see no say anything different about our writer's room you're supposed to say oh my gosh they're all women but it's like oh you don't hire anyone of color like, I don't know. like what's what's going on here they're like the audience needed to learn a lesson and i'm just like why mm-hmm. why am i a lesson and the, the people that this character means something to you uh we know <laughs> trust me we know so and i'm like to be like and then have shows like our flag and have shows like a league of their own where we're more than a lesson and we're actually self-actualized individuals they're like oh this isn't playing <laughs> this isn't this isn't playing guys let's let's, let's shut that down and like white women liberalism and like i i'm saying that as a white woman liberal so like i can say that uh, <laughs> because like it, it's exactly what you're talking about layla like i have a lot of friends that were in your exact position where they watched what happened with Pusey and they couldn't watch it anymore and it was like 
the idea of trying to have representation, but doing it in a way that's actually harmful for the community, yeah. ultimately. Like, maybe a white um, learned something. And I'm glad, glad, I'm glad that white, like, saw that. I was like, huh, maybe please shouldn't kill shouldn't kill black people for no reason but also he was such a nice guy he was a nice guy as he murdered her um for no reason and stuff like that but it's like i'm glad you guys learned your lesson but you kind of like took something you know valuable away and even like um to say and um danielle brooks characters like friendship and everything like that and, and how uh i guess for lack of a better word well quote-unquote educated Pusey's character was and how like worldly she was and seeing how like prison can happen to kind of anyone and can Mm. happen to like it's Mm. not just people who are you know who you can quote-unquote look down on if that makes sense and punching downwards exactly when the right punches downwards yeah so being like you know they have a character like yes because like the mentally ill do also end up in prison so like yes you have like the crazy eyesness of it but then you have like the Pusey of it and like I felt like they had multiple and they were like you know what what if we, guys, us white women, we got together, and I think we, I think we came up with a winner here. Let's do this. And instead of having it be an indictment of like the corrections department or like you know how militarized mm-hmm. the like police and correction corrections officers are, instead let's make it a good versus good and about how you know he really didn't mean to. He's such a nice guy, like you know. So I'm like, what lesson did you really teach as you traumatize half your black audience? I just always ask myself why these are the shows that it comes down to because i feel the same way about rapture yeah. after why is a show one of the most prominent black performers and writers and generally all around amazing people why is that the show that gets canceled that should be a property that they are excited and lucky and After blessed to have everything Issa ray did for hbo with insecure my god and how accomplished she is. There is the reason I got an HBO absolutely, subscription. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like, for them to do this, to like, I'm like, you are lucky she made rap shit for you. You are lucky she made it. And now you're going to cancel it after two seasons. I'm like, HBO Max better not be sitting here in June posting no. our flag clips and talking about their commitment to diversity. Their human by orientation. And even in, even in February, even in February, in a couple of weeks, if they post anything from rap shit, I, you know, I'm going to have an issue here. I'm going to have an issue. Yeah, we um, all know. It's like, we, they only, you know, care about it. They only care about, um, you know, diversity and inclusion as far as they can profit off of it. And that's, you know, yes. extremely clear. It just makes me wonder what the strategy is to even decide what programming I don't they, think have they have. A strategy. A lot of the strategy is whatever it costs the least to make, and that's reality yes. TV. It's like, oh, if it costs. Obviously, um, reality TV show is, is cheaper to make, um, and we know HBO Max is not HBO Max; it's just Max bought discovery and there's this whole like discoveries programs are cheap to make you know um six million pounds sister wife you know next door's dogs dance oh, the dog day fiance. yeah um you know they are all much much cheaper to make because you don't have to pay writers um i mean they really do pay writers but you know they don't have to pay for kind of the the fictional element which is the expensive bit right that's the bit that costs money you can't just go film stuff um and as someone who works in that documentary space and that reality tv space because it's factual and that's what it does um it is it is cheaper so there's there's a move for that and you know there's there's some facts out there um on the kind of impact that reality tv has and obviously reality tv and the 08 writer strike is the reason we had trump as president um which is a pretty well documented like story um Mm -hmm. and do we think do we think the push from HB from HBO Max to more discovery style programming? Do you think that is again a response to the writer strike, or do you think that's just happy coincidence that they are they can make more money by doing less? I think it's revenge for the writer's strike. Um, when we were in New York and we were on the picket line in on the Thursday, I did say to Will, "I will be incredibly pissed if." the commitment of the OFMD fandom and the commitment of the OFMD actors to um, the WGA and um, SAG-AFTRA bites them on the arse later 
because HBO decided that, oh, they were committed to the to the strike. They've cost us money. We're going to pull it. And lo and behold, we get this. And I'm trying not to sort of foam at the mouth about it. But I do wonder, because we were, you know, I think we were the most active in making sure that the picket lines had food and water. And if there's, so there's a database of around 730 TV series um, with queer content in, and not necessarily just a queer character, um, and that's all variations of queer. Um, and according to that database, um, around 20% of all shows are cancelled in the first three seasons um, anyway, which, fair, you know, that's, that's, that's data, that's fine. But around 67% of queer-focused or queer character TV shows are cancelled in that three-year, in that three-season period. Would any of you say that tracks with kind of your experience of media or like content or, or anything at all? <laughs> um, pretty much all media, to be honest. Like even if it's you've got that, um, say if you've, you've finally found that show that doesn't get cancelled, but you've got that one queer character, they will, they'll have their arc, they'll have their coming out story and they might have their um, group of straight friends that really isn't realistic really because a lot of the time queer people tend to stick together um, and they'll be gone. Um, And then shows that do focus on queer stuff, you just... Yeah, they, they get cancelled. Our flag gets cancelled. All the ones we've been mentioning so far, they just, they're getting cancelled. And it's disheartening for queer stories not to have their own ending. They get cut short. And it kind of, it yeah, like I said, disheartening for what you're feeling in real life. Because one thing that really attracted me to our flag was the fact that there was a lot of older queer people that were having a happy yes. story. A lot yes. of older queer stories, it'll be a sad yeah. story. One of them's got dementia and they're dying. Um, I do love a good film Never like that sometimes. But, um, guilty pleasure, I suppose. But um, it's the fact that it's not that kind of story. It is a happy queer story of older people. And I can look at them, even if they're pirates in the 1700s, and think, wow, I have a future. Yeah. It's quite nice. I can be the soft gay mask being and (laughs) people like me and I can be older and have that life. So like the fact that I didn't feel like I was forcing anything that I, that people weren't laughing at something that I was seeing in subtext. Like it wasn't subtext. It was the main text. They're gay. Like Mm -hmm. it's, yeah, I, would like to have a show that I have this real strong feeling about have its full course. They literally mm-hmm. asked for three seasons. I feel like mm-hmm. that's not too much to ask. Yeah, not to take it super serious, but like queer stories are already being cut short quite literally in the fact that we lost so many people in the 80s and 90s. We don't know what those futures look like. It's still, for a lot of queer youth, like they're very at risk. And so our stories already have a dot, dot, dot at the end. Our stories already have a what do I do now at the end. And I think that's why it's really important for shows like this to get to finish is because really speaking to what you said about we need these role models. It's not just about celebrating queer youth, like with amazing shows like Heartstopper and Love Victor and Love Simon and everything. We need to show kids that there's something to live towards and we need for queer elders to feel validated and seen and that their experiences are just as valid as young people's experiences. And also that dot, dot, dot isn't Mm -hmm. entertainment. It's people's lives. Yes. Those, yeah, they're fictional characters, but you bet your ass there's someone, like I'm 56 and I only worked out Mm -hmm. I was bi when I was in my mid-40s. And with, I guess, some hint of irony, but not wanting to end the entire discussion on a dot, dot, dot. This is actually the end of this episode and we'll be back for a part two where we will continue this discussion with our guests. 
Uh, you can catch them and me in the next episode of The Narrative Labyrinth, where we'll be continuing the conversation about diverse storytelling in media. This is normally when I ask people to shamelessly plug something, but I guess the only thing I can really ask you to do is engage with queer media, engage with media that's diverse, even if that's just a like on a video or a thumbs up or a retweet or a share. But we as a community need to support other queer voices and other diverse voices. So that's where I'm going to leave you. Until next time, this is The Narrative Labyrinth. My name's Rachel and we'll see you soon. Mm-hmm.